Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. And in just a few moments, I'm going to get you to watch uh, the first two scriptures, and we'll, I will read them out loud, and you can follow them. In Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, and Proverbs chapter 17. I'm entitling the message today, Who's in Charge Here? Now, certainly that relates to the family, it would relate to the church or the city or whatever, but uh, in a general sense, who's in charge of this world that we're living in right now? Who's in charge? Um, that's very important because who's in charge will determine what happens in the future and even what's happening right now. And what I want to do is to take you into the scripture. We're going to go to Genesis, first book in the Bible, and we're going to the second chapter. Then we're going to go all the way over to the Proverbs. The, it was written by Solomon and, and the book of Proverbs, written by the wisest man uh, outside of Jesus that ever lived. And he wrote the Proverbs, and we're going to read from the 17th chapter of Proverbs. So Genesis 2, Proverbs 17, the subject, who is in charge here? So listen carefully. From the second chapter of Genesis, verse 16, now we're in the Garden of Eden, and uh, the Lord comes into that garden, and you remember the story, just an excerpt, 16th and 17th verse. And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof you will surely die. Now in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15. He that justifieth the wicked, that's one group, he that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. He that justifieth the wicked, those that say to the wicked, it's okay what you're doing, you've got every right to do it, that's your freedom. And then those that condemn those that are the just, justified by the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today, it says that those that condemn the just and justify the wicked, both groups are an abomination to the Lord. Very strong scripture. But I want you to listen carefully today because the temptation in the Garden of Eden was a very simple, had a very simple purpose. The temptation was the temptation to rebel against God's authority and to introduce the process of making human beings the arbiters of morality. In other words, it was to move the authority from God being the authority to the culture being the authority. It moved the authority from God saying what's right and wrong to the people deciding what is right and wrong. The scripture, again in Proverbs, alludes to that. 
It says those that, that justify that which is wrong and then those that condemn that which is right, both of them upset God greatly. Because you see, when, when God comes and is taken out of the picture of life, of a culture, of a country, of a family, of an individual, whenever that happens, you lose your compass that points to right and wrong. You lose your compass. Because if you don't have a compass that, that thinks for you and, and, and has set out the standards, if you please, that can point, it's like being lost in the woods and not having a compass that points always to the north, you get lost. There's some place there has to be authority. Now the battle is, is the authority in a holy God or is the authority in an immoral culture? Are we going to follow a righteous judge or are we going to follow wayward, rebellious humanity? Now, it is in that context that we look at the universe today. When the moral and what is moral and what is immoral is determined in many cases, and I will say most cases, by what man's opinion is, of his circumstances, where he finds himself, when it is in his life, who all is involved, and from that, they begin to make decisions. But when we look at the universe today, we should observe exactly, and we are observing exactly, what is a culture where there's no purpose, there is no design, and there's no evil. The home can be anything you want it to be. A marriage can be anything you want it to be. A person can do anything they want to do. A nation can go in any direction they want to go. That's their choice. But when you look at a world like that, you should see signs that it's coming apart. Now, you're going to have to look at it from where you live as I look at it from where I live, but a godless worldview leaves us hopeless and helpless. If we take God out of our culture and out of our world, we are going to find life to be most miserable. If we take the position, whatever culture believes is right, and we vote on it, and what they say is right is right, and what culture says is wrong is wrong. And that becomes our authority. Then we have to weigh the answer to the question, who's in charge here? Is this God's world? He says it is. The scripture says in the beginning, God created it. If we say, no, it's not your world. It's our world. Cultures come and go. Civilizations come and go. Our lives come and go. It's appointed unto man once to die. But let me just tell you unequivocally, it scares me to death to believe that a culture tries to exist when there's no right or wrong. When a culture tries to exist on what is the popular things going on, how are people thinking? What are they doing? What is the main thing that brings people into one accord? That frightens me, and it should frighten all of us. The worldview in America today is whatever the culture deems right is right, and whatever 
the culture deems wrong is wrong. It's wrong to pray at school by this culture. It is wrong to have a Bible in any public place. That's our culture. It is wrong to believe what God says about marriage. That's the culture. It is wrong to go and tell other people that Jesus loves them. That's their business. It's wrong. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. That's Proverbs 14 and 12. Proverbs 12, 15 says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkens unto counsel is wise. Proverbs 2, uh, 21, 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord ponders the hearts. The prophet Hosea, 14th chapter, verse 9. Who is wise? And he shall understand these things. Prudent, and he will know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them. But the transgressors shall fall therein. I got to admit to you, it sounds good when somebody says, do no harm to others, be true to yourself. That ought to be your philosophy of life. You know, on the surface, that uh, kind of gives you that little wheezy feeling. But uh, those are the words of unbelievers and not the word of a believer. The, nef- the definition of good and evil is pictured in one place and it's pictured in the character of God. As he is, so we are to be in this life, in this world. So if you want to know what God wants of my life and your life, and when you want to know what is he like, what did he do? How did he treat the sinners? How did he? He loved them, of course. But he also dealt with them honestly. And he was able to say to a Nicodemus, except you be born again, Nicodemus, you will not enter my kingdom. He did not say what Nicodemus wanted to hear. He said what Nicodemus needed to hear so that Nicodemus would not miss the best in life. But it made the religious people that day very unhappy. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not just address certain kinds of sin. We do. It's a tendency for all of us to address the sins of the other people. We just don't want to talk about our own. Matter of fact, when you get on my sin, I'm getting out of here. I mean, when you get on my sin, I'm going to write you a letter. You know, when you talk to, to me about my sin, now you're meddling. But give the rest of them fits. I like it. Wait, go on, go on, go on. But God doesn't just address certain types of sin. He just puts it all in one category. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. 1 John 2.4, he that says, I know him and keeps not his commandment is a liar. And the truth is not in him. I want you to hold to that verse. We're going to end there in a few minutes. 1 John 2.4, he that says, I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Say, preacher, you called me. I didn't call you a liar. I'm just reading the book. I just read it somewhere. I'm just telling you. (laughs) It's in the book. But it's true. Humans can think. We can choose. We can create. We can love. We can make things beautiful. We can worship. But the same ones of us can hate, destroy, fight, kill, rebel, be immoral, 
steal, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. That's who we are. That's who we are. We are both. And man is capable of building hospitals, orphanages, churches, houses to help people that are poor, but they can also build torture chambers, guillotines, nuclear arsenals, houses of prostitution, nightclubs, and on and on and on and on. That's what man can do. Now, what is he going to make do? Well, the Bible says choose what you're going to do. Well, how do you choose what you're going to do? You choose who you're going to follow. Well, who are you going to follow? You're going to follow, I hope, who's in authority? Who's in control here? If, if, if God be God, the Scripture says worship him. If Baal be God and Satan is God, worship them. But the prophet said, as for me and my house, we're worshiping God. We've made our choice. Now, the good thing is everybody has a choice. We don't have a choice who, who uh, when we're born the first time, God picks our parents. We sure have a choice about being born again. Because the Bible says all are welcome to come to the Lord Jesus. So where did all this stuff originate? All the way back into Genesis chapter 3. I want you to notice that in that chapter, of every tree of the garden you can eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. The knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. What's sin and what's not sin. You leave that tree alone. God is in charge of that. Don't you touch that. I am the Lord thy God. In me and me only shall you serve. And if you will just be still and know I am God, and I've made myself so evident in creation you ought to see that I am God, then if you will just listen, I will speak clearly to you. I will hear your prayers. I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. But you must know who's in charge. You must know if you ask anything in my name, the scripture says, I will, I will. If it's in my name, if it's my will for your life and you're ready for it, I will bring it into your life. Ezekiel 18, 20. The soul that sins, it shall die. But we say, God's not over me. God doesn't tell me what to do. I'm educated. I'm rich. I'm powerful. I'm strong. I'm good looking. I'm very influential. Just ask anybody. They'll tell you what they think about me. You ought to hear what some of them think about you. It might not be everything you expected. But here's this. Here's, this is for, for certain. There's two choices. And there's only two choices. We can either worship and trust the word, worship God and trust the word of God, or we can trust people and trust what they're saying. That's our choice. Everybody has that choice. Sin exalts itself, but righteousness exalts the Savior. Sin calls attention to us. Righteousness calls attention to him. Righteousness leads us to life everlasting. But rejection and following people leads us to an eternity separated from God. In our quest to satisfy ourselves, hear me, 
You know what's happened to many? We've become slaves to sin. I don't think anybody here would approve of slavery. But why are so many slaves? They choose to be slaves. Because when you choose to reject God, you choose to live in slavery. The devil can manipulate your mind, your actions. He can make a fool out of you. And you don't know it on Friday night, but you know it on Saturday morning. You don't know it on the weekend, but you know it on Monday. You don't know it when you're 15, but you know it when you're 25 or 35 or 45 or whatever. How could I have been such a fool? How could I have believed what you said to me? And the way you said it, and I fell for it. You know why? Because you had, Satan had blinded your eyes and deafened your ears, and you did not hear the voice of God telling you, no. You see, without God, you cannot escape sin. You can't escape it now, and you cannot escape it in eternity without God. If he's not your Lord now, he will not be your Lord then. If you do not love and follow him now, you will not love and follow him then. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. That's Jesus' words, not the pastor's words. If you do those things that the Bible says is sin, you are the slave of sin. The sad thing is you have a choice. Well, some people go into slavery because they say they have no choice, but we do have a choice. We do have a choice. The alcoholic, never, 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 never. Ask one alcoholic, ask one a drug addict, did you set out to be a drug addict and alcoholic? Did you set out to cheat on your family and cheat on your wife when you were just kind of casually looking and see what they say? And tell them, tell me the truth. Sin always takes you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you there longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And you can watch the news this month when the, when the arrests come. You can watch it next month when they're crying. Oh, I was so wrong. I was so sorry. I shouldn't have done that and so forth. You say, Pastor, I believe there's no such thing as right and wrong. Okay. Then it's not wrong for me to disagree with you, Right? You can't say, Pastor, you're wrong. Why am I wrong? Because you disagree with me. No, there is no right and wrong, remember? So I'm just going to tell you what I think the Bible teaches us. We cannot remove or lessen our guilt by changing or redefining right and wrong according to the culture. You know why? Because cultures change. Do you not agree with that? Then you're not 50 years old. Okay? Culture changes. The, the average tenure of a civilization, of a nation, I should say, is 200 years. We're beyond our 200th year in America. Anything coming off? The wheels coming off? Anything happening? Well, you see, cultures change. But sin doesn't change. What was wrong in, uh, 50 years ago is still wrong today. What was wrong 150 years ago is still wrong today. What was wrong in Genesis 1 is still wrong today. God never changes, but culture changes. And if you are going to keep up with culture, you better get you a big library and you better buy a lot of stuff daily because it's changing almost by the second. 
Just about the time you make your last payment on a phone, you get a chance to buy another one and go a few more years. And it'll say stuff that the first one didn't say and do things the first one wouldn't do. And you say, but that's the way I am. I just go with it. I don't want anybody to get ahead of me. You see, when you're following people, you're always trying to get ahead of them. When you're following God, you just follow him, and he takes care of the bad stuff and walks with you through those times. I want to talk just a minute about that. If you're, if you're here tonight, today and you're not a believer and you don't normally go to church, but you don't really know that much about the Bible, that's okay. But you probably have heard about a man named Jesus. Now, based on what you've heard about him, here's my question. Was he a good man? Jesus, from what you know about him. Uh, another question would be, can you identify with him in any way? For instance, he was a man of sorrow. He was acquainted with grief. He struggled with suffering. He was rejected of men. Am I hitting anywhere that you say, I've been there? I, I've been there. Was he loving and kind? Jesus I'm talking about. Did Jesus love poor people? Was he concerned about sick people? Was he concerned about children? Was he concerned about a nation? From what you know about him. Was he sympathetic with the deaf, the blind, the crippled? Jesus that you know about, did he make friends with all kinds of people? Did he find himself in that? You see, there is, in all of our lives, something that can point us towards him. Jesus was a man that said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. Don't call him arrogant. He was telling the truth. He was the only one because the Father, his authority, made him the only one. And the father said, Jesus, you've got to go to the cross or nobody else can come to me. So he went to the cross. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was perfect. He was alone. Many times he took the place of guilty people and especially in paying for my sin and yours. But billions of people believe it's impossible for God to become a man. They also believe that if he, if he were God, he would never allow the crucifixion. What kind of a God would let his own son be executed? However, the gospel claims, and it claims it over and over again, that your eternity and my eternity is dependent upon how I respond to Jesus I can accept him or I can reject him and I will live as a result of what decision I make nobody can force Jesus on me and nobody can force Jesus on you there's only one that will make that call and that's you that's you but you need to choose knowing what it means to say yes and what it means to say wrong because the Bible says there is a heaven. There is a heaven where there'll be full reconciliation, there'll be restoration, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. All of that has passed away. 
And those that have trusted Jesus as their Savior will live forever in that perfect, perfect place. And the same Bible says those that reject Jesus and the most that was ever said about hell was said by Jesus himself, not by any writer of the Bible. Jesus said it and the writers quoted him because he experienced it on his death on the cross and he told us what it was like. And he comes back and he says, for whosoever will, can come and drink of the water of life freely. He can call us out. He can call us back. He can call us to himself. But we have to understand that we have to make a choice. He doesn't force himself on anybody. He does not make anybody go to hell. He died so nobody would have to go there. Nobody chooses to go there. But you know what they do choose to do? They choose to reject Jesus, plain and clear. Just reject Jesus. That's all you have to do. When he says, come, follow me, take up your cross and follow me, you say, I don't think so. There's a party tonight. There's still something I've got to do. I've still got another agenda. That's fine. But in order to get to the Father, you've got to come to the Son. And if you reject the Son... You have serious problems. Nobody, nobody chooses to go to hell instead of heaven. They just simply choose to reject Jesus. Or if not totally reject him, procrastinate, put it off at a more convenient season, then will I come. So my question is, do you believe the gospel? That's the question. The gospel is the good news. That's what the word means. What's the good news? Jesus loves you. Somebody wrote a song about it. Anybody want to quote the words with me? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. God says he loves me. But the Bible says there's only one way to heaven. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. What's the name? Jesus. 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 At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. I was challenged as a young man. If I ever got in a situation where I could not handle it, didn't know what to say, what to do, just call his name, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I heard a young man, a young evangelist, that uh, was uh, robbing a, a uh, convenience store. In the course of that robbery, pointing a 375 Magnum pistol in the face of the girl behind the counter, he was fixing to take the money according to his testimony and he said I was going to shoot her as soon as I had my hands on the money and said, she said Jesus 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 loves you and he said my hand froze and the pistol dropped he was arrested for attempted robbery but he didn't fire the gun but the only thing she could she didn't scream and holler and go crazy she just said Jesus he said, I know what it means that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And that man ended up preaching the gospel for about 35 years. A robbery that went wrong? No, one that went right. One where God loved the sinner that was fixing to do something that would have ruined his life forever. You know, people always talking about Jesus being the one way, one way. I just don't believe I believe there's many ways to heaven. You know what? If there were a thousand biblical ways to heaven, that same person would say, I think there's another one. 
I think there's one more. Because it's that pride. I'm going to do it my way. I don't care, you know, if there's a thousand, ten thousand ways. I'm going to do it my way. There's one way. But we want to make our own way. You can't do that. You cannot do that. Every culture wants its own way. I want to close with this, but I want you to listen very carefully and please hear exactly what I'm saying. You can divide our world today into three groups. Number one, there's one group of people in our world today, they just do not believe the gospel, period. They don't believe the gospel. They don't profess to be Christians. And they have all kinds of reasons why they don't become a Christian. But they'll tell you right up front, I don't believe the Bible's the word of God. I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't claim to be a Christian. And there's millions of them out there. Millions and millions and millions and millions of people. Even into the billions. My prayer for them would be that I hope that by God's grace they have a chance to hear the gospel and that they respond to the gospel. And if they have heard the gospel and haven't responded to the gospel, that something will happen in their life that will bring them to the gospel. But there's another group of people. The other group of people are those that do not believe the gospel. They do not believe the gospel. But they profess to be Christians. (laughs) How about that? They profess to be Christians, yet they don't believe the Bible. These, These folks... Uh, they're comfortable with words like modern, open-minded, I'm church-going, I'm a good person, I'm a Christian. But they don't believe the gospel. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. They don't believe that. But they call themselves Christians. Now, they say they're a Christian, but they do not believe the Bible to be the inspired and errant infallible Word of God. The Word of God. God is the author. He's the only author. But they say, I'm a Christian. I just don't believe the Bible. I think parts of it inspired, and I'm inspired to spot the spots. You know, they think spots are inspired, and they're inspired to spot the spots. But they'll tell you in a heartbeat, I'm a Christian. They do not believe God created the heavens and the earth. They've got an education. They went out to the What's Happening Now University and, and, and listened to Professor Know Nothing and Knows Nobody in Heaven teach them about how the world came to be, yet they say, I'm a Christian, I just don't believe Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But they say, I'm a Christian. There are those that say they're Christian. They do not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Matter of fact, they'll argue with you and say, the God that I worship... It's just not that kind of God that would send a person to hell because they didn't follow him. Well, he says, they will. It says, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there are that find it. Wide is the road to eternal damnation, and many go therein. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that. That's the words of Jesus. Jesus said that in the book of John. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. How can you be a Christian and say, but Jesus, you're a liar on that one? but that's what they say. They do not believe that Jesus told the truth about hell. 
Did you know that everything that you've ever heard about hell, Jesus said it, most of it. He said more about hell than all the writers in the Bible. What they said, what Jesus said, and they repeated it and wrote it in their Gospels or whatever. But it's Jesus who warned about hell. But you say, I don't believe there's a hell. Well, how can you be a Christian and not believe what Jesus warned you about going there? You see where we're going with this? You know those kind of folks. They do not believe their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You will find Christians in every hellhole in America tonight watching every godless thing going on in this country and participating in it, and yet they'll be in church maybe next Sunday. If not, they'll at least say, well, my, my name's on the roll. I'm a tithe-paying member of the What's Happening Now Church. <laughs> you know what? One of the greatest ways to start a revival is for the people in that group to just get up and be honest and say, I'm really not a Christian. Because according to Jesus, you're not a child of God. Don't call me Lord, Lord, he said, and do not the things I command. And he commands some stuff in a very, very strong way. And you do it and you enjoy it and you take glory in it and you think you want the church to go that way, ain't going to happen to the church of Jesus Christ. Not going to happen. If there's not but ten people left when Jesus comes worshiping him, they will be called up to meet the Lord in the air. Well, it's impossible to deny, disregard, make fun of, discredit, disbelieve the words that Jesus spoke. And I just wish that you would humble yourself even today and say, you know what? Today is the day of my salvation. No longer am I going to go about and tell everybody I'm a Christian, but I don't vote like a Christian. I don't act like a Christian. I don't talk like a Christian. I don't do anything like a Christian. And just say, I'm not, but I want to be. God loves sinners. God loves those kind of people. Welcome to the world, Simon Peter. He cussed. He did everything in the world. Lie, you know, terrible temper. I mean, he had it all. But one day he got things right with God. That may need to happen to you. And then finally today, there's a third group. You do believe the gospel. You do want God in your life. And you want to serve him. You pray. You serve. You give. You care. We had one of our wonderful deacons yesterday when all of our staff was tied up in funerals and other things and one of our wonderful deacons yesterday stepped up and at 2 o'clock yesterday at the night day funeral home preached the funeral of the father of a family that had no pastor and he stood in the gap, volunteered on a Sunday afternoon to love on that family in Jesus' name. That's the church, folks. That's the church. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. But we don't sacrifice the truth to be popular. Don't you do that. If there's anything that you can do in your life that will make you uh, move in peace is to have convictions. And know what you're going to do before the temptation ever comes. Because if you wait and you hope you can make the right decision, you won't. But when you see the temptation, you turn and you run from it. You will never become addicted to drugs. You'll never become addicted to alcohol. You will never find yourself living a life of immorality if you just simply stop and say, as for me, I'm going to be a follower of the Savior, and I'm not going to do anything that will bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. When we look at poverty, 
slavery, abortion, sexual immorality, profanity, marriage degradation, rearing children, whatever it might be. Let's do it God's way. Let's look at it from God's eye. Let's love people in Jesus' name. He did not cast them out. He brought them in. But they had to be born again. Go and don't do this anymore. Come follow me. So it takes three things. We've got to have a conviction. We have to have compassion. And we have to have courage. Are you willing to adopt those three things? You remember the compassion of Jesus? Ninth chapter, verse 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they were fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Our God sees the world as it is. He speaks to homosexuality, heterosexuality. He speaks to immigration. He speaks to everything you can think of. He deals with it. And he says, this is my way. This is what you're facing. I want to equip you to tell the truth, the Ten Commandments, all those things, you know. But we don't want them in the school. I said, here's ten things. Well, I don't want any of them. How erroneous can we get, folks? God, help us for our kids to quit killing, lying, cheating, stealing, committing adultery. Wouldn't that just ruin our country? I don't think so. I think it would bring our country back to be everything God intended it to be. And he'll do the same thing for the family. But you know what? It's got to start right here. Don't you think I ever get up here and preach to you? I just get up here and tell you what God's telling me and you. And I just want you to eavesdrop, you know, Facebook. Okay? If I say anything that God's word will not back up, you need to call my hand on it. But as long as God says it, that settles it. It doesn't matter whether we believe it or not. But when we believe it, we have a new life. We have a new start. Everything is white as snow, washed away. And then God said, now here's the plan. Here's what I made. Just really you've been working in, walking into that wall. The reason you never flew an airplane is because you get air sick when you get up on a six-foot ladder. That's the reason the Air Force turns you down, all right, or whatever. God has a plan. God has a purpose. But he's got to take charge. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Start and ask God, God, would you first of all, I pray for our world. God, would you please intervene in our world? God, would you please take hold of our nation? God, will you please take hold of our state, our county, our city, our families, our church, our schools? Oh, God, please make yourself known. We do trust you, and we're so grateful to live in this land. And we're grateful for one another just to ask him to take hold. But even more important, I want you to think this way with me. Dear God, take hold of my life. I'm wondering about, I don't seem to know what is your will and your way. I've gone through some religious motions and I do okay for a while and then I go right back out doing whatever. But God, I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. And my, everything that I have is yours. Teach me how to serve. Teach me how to give. Teach me how to love. Teach me how to forgive. 
Teach me how to pray. Teach me where to serve and how to serve. Teach me to understand your word better. Open it up to me. That's what I want. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, maybe you're one of those. I've always said I'm a church-going Christian. I'm a church member. But the Holy Spirit's telling you this morning, you need to listen because you've never given your life to me. I've never been first. And you hear the Savior speaking those still, quiet words to you. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to kid around. I don't know what another day is going to bring. But, Pastor, I really do want to give my life to God. I want my life to count for God. If I live another five minutes or another 50, 60, 100 years, I want my life to count. But right now, I have no goal. I have no power. I have no authority in my life. And I want to invite Jesus to come into my life this morning. If you want me to pray with you a simple 30-second prayer, right where you are, asking Jesus to come into your life, I just want you to slip up your hand all over this building, upstairs, terrace, downstairs. I, pastor, want to pray and ask Jesus to take over my life. Would you just lift up your hand for a moment? Just lift it up and hold it up. God bless you up here in this terrace. Are there others? Yes, and over here. And here. Don't be ashamed. Everyone, please keep your eyes bowed. Let this be between them and God. I'm looking just so I can pray and, and know that God is speaking to some that are here. This is your moment. This is your day of a brand new life. You came out in here one way. You're going to go out another way with Jesus in your life. Are there others? God bless you over here to my right. God bless you, sir. Others, God bless you, ma'am. And down here in the front. Just a moment now. This is what it's all about. God bless you, dear. All right? Would you that raised your hand, or if you should have and didn't, I know the lack of trust, and that's okay. I understand that totally. I don't want you to trust me, but I want you to trust him. He says, for whosoever shall call upon my name, I will save them. I will forgive them. I will give them a new life. Trust him. That's what he says. Pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud, whisper it, whatever you want to do. Dear God, I am a sinner. I am guilty. And I know you're the Savior. And that you love everybody. And I don't understand a lot. But I sense in my spirit that you do love me and you have a plan for my life. I'm inviting you to come in. I'll forsake anyone or anything to follow you. I want you to use me. I want you to bless others by letting me be a blessing to them. I ask you nothing for myself except that you would adopt me into your family through salvation I give my life and my heart to you. And it's in Jesus' name. I ask it, turning from my sin, I repent and I start down a new road right now. Tell me what to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. 
For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.